Welcome to the Talking Reef Podcast, the weekly talk show that brings you topics and discussions on marine and reef aquariums. I'm your host, Rob Weatherly. Well, we've got a good show coming up for you. I'm going to do something that we haven't done in quite some time. We're going to do a, another Q&A show. This is actually going to be the eighth Q&A show for the Talking Reef Podcast. I'm going to start off a little bit different than the normal shows. Normally, I take community or technical discussions about the podcast itself and about the community and always throw those to the end. For this show, I'm going to actually take two technical slash podcast element questions and do them first. Now, the reason I'm doing this is because they seem to be coming up a lot and I'm seeing a lot of people talking about this stuff. So I want to get it right out there for everybody. Uh, And then after that, I've got uh, three or four uh, reef uh, saltwater related questions that I'm going to address as soon as I'm done with those. So I'm going to try to get through these first two pretty quick. The first question uh, that I have been, it's, like I said, it's not a direct question, but it's something that I see people talk about. And this is regarding download speeds of the podcast episodes, especially the video episodes. Now, the thing that I want everybody to keep in mind is these episodes can be fairly large, especially the video shows. The audio shows usually aren't too large. Uh, they are uh, anywhere from 20, 30 to 40 megabytes a piece. The video shows are usually between 100 and 200 megabytes a piece. Now, for a single file, you're right, that's not that big. But we all have to keep in mind that the Talking Reef podcast is downloaded by thousands of people, uh, usually right on release day. Uh, so... You know, the problem is, is is the bandwidth gets quickly consumed. Uh, so when I release a 100 meg video, uh, we have to remember that it's automatically getting downloaded by hundreds of hundreds of people all, all at once. Yeah, yeah, I know. Excuses, excuses. It's the last thing everybody wants to hear. So that being said, I want everybody to know that I am working on getting more bandwidth in there uh, to help get the downloads going faster. I'm looking at alternative solutions for downloading or ways of uh, distributing the show through other services. Uh, The one thing that I want everybody to know is that I am going to maintain a centralized model. Uh, I've had people recommend BitTorrent. I am familiar with BitTorrent. Uh, The problem is is that uh, with BitTorrent, I lose the centralization. I lose control over the file once it's been released and seeded out. And um, I lose the ability to get accurate statistics and stuff like that. So I am not going to be doing... Uh, that now uh, and probably not in the future either so that said uh, keep keep in there uh, I'm, I'm working on finding uh, you know ways to get the the bandwidth bumped up quite a bit um, either you know like I said either through paying for it or through other methods so that said let's move on to the next one the next podcast related question that seems to be coming up more and more on the forums is about the Uh, audio and video formats mostly audio formats but uh, just so everybody knows obviously uh, if you're listening to this you know this already but the audio formats are standard mp3s and can play in just about any uh, you know windows media player itunes quicktime almost any audio player that comes on a computer any mp3 player so on and so forth now the video format is usually what's generating most of the questions here the videos are done in what's referred to as MPEG-4. Now, what, what we have here is a, uh, what I follow is a industry standard uh, for podcasts, for video podcasts. And like I mentioned, it's an MPEG-4, uh, and it is in iPod video iPod format, which, like I said, is a pretty much a standard of what everybody's using right now. 
Now, I know that not everybody uses a video iPod, and I know that not everybody wants to use QuickTime. Uh, again, going back to the previous topic, uh, if I were to make three different versions, let's say I made it a standard a standard MPEG format, a standard iPod, video iPod format, and a standard Windows Media format, uh, you know, it's it, that's three different files that I have to create three times, well, actually more than three times because the other uh, compressions are they leave larger f- files uh, so it leaves a lot of data to be consumed by a single show it's going to mean multiple downloads of each show because people are going to uh, you know want to download different formats and try out which one's better and stuff like that so what it comes down to is you know I, I needed to pick one format and that's the one that I chose and um, you know frankly it's the one that 95% of everybody is going to be fine with now, for those of you that aren't fine with it, uh, really what you need is QuickTime or iTunes. Uh, you can use other applications such as VideoLand Client to play these these files, uh, but really they're only supported through, you know, I, I'm only going to be able to help you if you're using, you know, QuickTime or iTunes. So um, if you want to listen to watch the videos, that's really what we need to do. Um, that's... Pretty much the details there. Uh, I hope everybody understands that. And if there's any other questions, feel free to let me know. All right. So moving right on, uh, I know those weren't the most exciting topics in the world, but I've got about four questions coming up, three of which are voicemail questions. Uh, so uh, let's go ahead and start with the voicemail questions. And the first one is a question on Purple Up. So let's go ahead and, and hear that voicemail. Yeah, Rob. I really appreciate the talk, Maurice. And I had a question concerning algae. I started using this new chemical called Purple Up. And uh, I started getting the purple algae, the coralline, growing in my tank. But on the bottom, uh, where the sand is, I'm starting to get a purple uh, gel substance with bubbles in it. Later, it gets hard. Uh, is that what I'm? Is that okay? Is that good? If not, can you tell me what I should do about that? Thanks. All right. Well, uh, first thing is uh, I want to let whoever left that voicemail know uh, I didn't get back to you. Uh, you didn't, weren't, didn't leave any contact information or your name. So I'm not really sure where that question comes from, but it did come in on the voicemail line. So uh, thanks again for the question. Now regarding the answer, uh, my thoughts on Purple Up are that it is generally used to kickstart the growth of coralline algae. Now, my personal feelings on this is that you don't need that. Uh, just about any tank that is kept in, kept in a healthy state is going to grow purple, uh, you know, coralline algae on its own. And what you're going to quickly find is that you're going to have more coralline algae in your tank than you know what to do with, and you're going to be scraping the stuff off. So that said, if you do want to kickstart it, Purple Up is a good way to go. Um, but in my opinion, it's generally not needed. Now, the stuff that you're probably seeing in there is something that's referred to as cyanobacteria. And this usually appears as a a velvety uh, little mat that's going to grow and start spreading on the sand bed and on the rocks. Now, what happens is, like most algae, it's going to consume, uh, and you know, through photosynthesis, it's going to produce carbon dioxide bubbles. Those little bubbles are formed and usually get caught up in its uh, in in that layer of you know the film layer that's on there. 
and these bubbles form in there. The other thing is usually sitting on a sand bed. If it's a semi-mature sand bed, then you're usually producing nitrogen within that sand bed as part of your nitrogen cycle, as part of the denitrification process. Now, those bubbles or that those gases are also released through the sand bed uh, slowly and will also collect underneath the cyanobacteria. And what it's going to cause is, uh, just as you're seeing, it's going to cause this little film layer with the bubbles underneath it. Uh, the best thing to do at this point, uh, you know, I'm not really sure how old your tank is. If it's a relatively new tank, uh, then these, you know, I, obviously it probably is if you're using Purple Up. If it's a mature tank, then you've probably already got the Coraline and you don't need this. Uh, so cyanobacteria is, is, a, is a common thing that happens in new tanks as they're, they're balancing themselves out. Uh, it's something that happens in mature tanks too for various reasons, which I'm, I won't get into all the details. But my recommendation is uh, you're, if you're seeing the, the coralline start to grow, you can discontinue the use of the purple up unless you want to. Uh, and for the cyanobacteria, it might be feeding on excess nutrients in there. Maybe the, the purple up is, is causing that. I can't say for sure. It's probably not very likely, but uh, either way, if you've got the coralline growing, you probably don't need it anyway, so you can stop that. Uh, as for the cyanobacteria, the easiest thing to do at this point is to, as you're doing your normal water changes, to just go ahead and siphon that stuff out of there and see if it grows back. A lot of times, the same as with hair algae, uh, as you start to correct your system for these things, if you have hair algae growing or cyano or diatoms or whatever, you start to correct your system for it, the stuff does not go away on its own. What you'll have to do is, you know, hair algae, you'll pull it out, cyanobacteria or diatoms or whatever, you might have to siphon them out. Uh, but what will happen is if you are reaching a good balance in your system, the stuff just won't grow back. So that's my recommendation. If you've got the, the coralline growing, discontinue the use of the purple up. And for the cyanobacteria, go ahead and siphon that stuff out of there and watch your nutrient levels. Make sure you're not overfeeding your tank, so on and so forth. Hope that helps. Uh, and at this point, let's go ahead and move on to the next question. And this one is on lighting. So I uh, hope everybody help, finds this one helpful. Hi, Rob. This is Daisy. I listen to your podcast every night. Um, it's the last thing I, I listen to on, on my way to Dreamland. But I have a question. I've left a, a thing on the forum, but it's such a hurried question. I'm trying to decide between what brand of metal halide fixtures I need. And I don't know anything about them other than I know that my store has recommended J-Bo Odyssey 72-inch combination of fixture from 150-gallon. And I read that it had fire problems with the ballast at one point. My store has assured me that those have been fixed, but how do I know that's really true? Also, he suggested if I wanted to change possibly current USA or Coralife, I'm looking at about a $1,000 lot fixture here. Is there any way you could address that or even give me just some kind of expert opinion? I know you're the expert. Daisy, first thing I need to apologize to you because you left this voicemail a little while ago and I have been slacking on getting back to you. So I wanted to make sure I got this into the show and got the question addressed for you on the show. Uh, Regarding the Jibo lights, now these are, or Odyssey lights, they're usually one and the same. Uh, these are your generic, low-cost, um, for lack of better words, cheap lights uh, that are usually sold you know, online, uh, I guess, uh, local fish store too, because I, I haven't seen them in a local fish store, but uh, I guess you're finding them. The problem with them is they are 
almost always very subpar. Uh, they generally have problems with them. Uh, I, I don't, I don't want to stand up and say that they're 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 crap or they're not good. Uh, but I will say that I have I have had some experience with some of the Jibo Power Compact fixtures. Uh, and they, they're not bad, but they were not very well put together. The actinic lights that came in them were cheap throwaway bulbs. They were, they're not even actinic. They're really just, uh, just regular bulbs, white bulbs that were painted blue. Um, they had a very poor look to them. The fixtures themselves, uh, were made, uh, seemed to be good construction, uh, but didn't have any way of mounting legs on them. And they did not come with any built in fans. So they had a tendency to get really, really hot. Uh, because, it, well, in the case of power compacts, you have your ballast built in. Now, for your case, with the metal halide lights or the combo metal halide power compact or metal halide uh, T5, I can't remember. I think they're power compact. You really, it, it, I've heard very mixed reviews on them. Some people have ha- have used them and have had good luck. Some people have used them and they've had major problems. Um, the biggest issue is is getting support for these units if you do have problems. If you get it through the local fish store, then you're probably not going to worry about that because you should be able to take them back to the local fish store if you have a problem. My personal recommend personal recommendation is to you know sit back and look at something a little bit more high quality. Uh, again, you don't have to go out and spend ten thousand dollars on lighting, uh, but you know, Coral Life lighting is probably going to be you know a more expensive solution than you need to go. The current USA is usually a decent solution for that. Uh, honestly, the best thing to probably do, especially if you're looking to save money, is to do a a, a retrofit uh, setup or a retro kit. Now, when I talked about lighting in the various uh, lighting series podcasts that I did. I know one of them I had talked about the retro kits, and the biggest the biggest thing here is these these kits will come all together for you. Uh, everything you need is there: the light bulbs, the reflectors, the ballast, everything you can get. The only thing you're not going to have is a fixture or a hood. So what you'll need is somebody to make a hood for you, or if you're you know capable, then make the hood yourself. Uh, I know this is that was something that I had to get over, and I, you know just finally just made my hood. <laughs> so. Uh, if it's something that you can do, then great. Go ahead and put together a hood. Uh, or if you want to, usually your local fish stores will have contacts that will do this for you. Uh, this, What this will do is it's going to give you uh, the chance to get much, much higher quality equipment. You'll be able to get good quality ballast, good quality bulbs, good quality reflectors, all of that wired up very nicely at a cost that's not going to be through the roof. Now for a 150-gallon tank, you're going to be looking at uh, probably three to four bulbs, uh, depending on the depth, probably 250 watts. I believe that's a, probably a six-foot tank. So, you know, like I said, three or four bulbs, uh, depending on what you need to go with. Uh, and then, you know, get a, a hood or a canopy built and have them mounted in there. Uh, that's really the best option for you. Now, regarding the comment on, you know, having them start on fire, I can't back that. I can't, you know, I haven't. You know, I haven't had the experience. I haven't seen direct reports on that. I'm not really sure. Uh, and how can you be sure it's been fixed? I, I, I don't know. I don't know that you can be assured. Uh, like I said, the, the, the quality of those is, is sketchy at best uh, with the, the Jibo and Odyssey lights. Uh, some say they're good. Some say they're not good. Um, you know, it, it depends. It's, I guess it's really up to you. Uh, but my, my recommendation generally, like I said, is to do a DIY uh, retro kit setup. Um, you know, that being said, there, there are some good quality. I think tech 
TEK makes some some decent uh, kits that you can that you can look at or full canopy setups that you can look at. Um, you can also look at stuff like the Solaris LED lighting setup that's going to cost you you know for a ten, for something that size you're going to be spending a couple thousand dollars, but you're going to get some high quality lights there. All right. Well, I totally forgot. You know, I'm doing a podcast. I can stop it and go check some things out. So I went over to Aquabuys.com, which is a Talking Reef sponsor, and checked out some of the lighting fixtures that they have. And uh, two of them that I see right off the bat is a 72-inch Orbit uh, fixture, which has got 350-watt HQI bulbs in it. And then they also have a 72-inch Hamilton fixture with three 175-watt metal halide single-ended bulbs in it. And one other fixture that they have on here is a Sun Pod fixture, again, 72-inch, uh, and that has 350-watt HQI bulbs in it also. Uh, now, these are going to come with varying types of supplemental lighting. Uh, some of them are uh, power compact bulbs. Some of them might be T5. So, again, you might want to go and check them out. Some have built-in moonlights and uh, all that different stuff. So, again, head over. You can go to, uh, again, this was uh, from Aquabuys.com, uh, which is a Talking Reef sponsor. Uh, these prices usually, the prices on these that I see range from about 700 to a little over $900, depending on which type of fixture you get. Uh, but, again, those are about the prices you're going to pay for a fixture that long uh, for a tank that big. And, again, being a, a full fixture, and, you know, it's a basically an end-to-end solution there. So, uh, hope that helps, Daisy, and if you have any more questions, feel free to let me know. And the next audio question that was called in is going to be on DIY acrylic work. I'm not going to have a direct answer for this one, I think, but uh, let's see where it goes. Hi, Rob. Uh, this is Damon Aguirre calling from Utah. I really appreciate all the work that you've been doing uh, with the podcast. I really enjoy those. Uh, I do have a question for you. Um, I was wondering if uh, you or anybody have any experience in uh, DIY projects such as um, using and creating acrylic sumps or acrylic um, products. Uh, I, I don't know how to glue them together. I don't know how to uh, uh, cut the material. I do a lot of other DIY stuff such as making my own calcium reactors and things, but uh, I think it would be uh, nice at some future point when it's uh, convenient for you to consider maybe an educational uh, information um, podcast in regards to acrylic, Um, but uh, I think you're doing a great job, Rob, and I appreciate everything that you're doing. Okay, Damon, thanks again for the question. I know I didn't get back to you through email. I think I tried, but uh, couldn't get the email address right. Anyways, uh, that's neither here nor there. Regarding your question, I have good news and I have bad news. Of course, let's do the bad news first. Um, it's not something I can easily answer uh, over over an audio-based show for two reasons. One, uh, well, frankly, I haven't really done much of it either, so I'm not. I don't consider myself qualified to really answer that question i've done a little bit of it but not enough to really do that uh second of all if i have done it it's still hard to explain it audio wise so the good news is i do have a solution for you um if you can hold out just a little bit longer we have some people that are putting together a video podcast all on working with acrylic now that is expected to be done in the next few weeks 
uh, and will be released as soon as as soon as I can possibly get it out for everybody. Uh, I'm not exactly sure on the details how long it's going to be. Is it's it's very likely going to be a multi-part series uh, on working with acrylic, but it's going to be uh, starting from the basics and working its way up. So. Uh, that being said, I hope that's going to help you. I wish I could give you a little bit more information right now, uh, but that's about all I got for you at this point. Thanks, Damon. Okay, and last but not least, I've got one final question that I wanted to bring up, and this is something that was brought up in the follow-up forum uh, regarding a past video podcast that was done. Uh, this video podcast was Actually, number 68, it was the video that was done regarding the Salifert test kit, the, the calcium test kit. There was a question that had come up a couple times in the forms previous to this, and it was really regarding the directions of that test. The directions clearly indicate, wait for it to go from a pink color to a blue color. Uh, but obviously, when you watch the video, you saw me go from a pink color to a purple color. And this did bring up some questions and concerns about the test and whether that was accurate or do you really stop at that point or do you keep going? And frankly, yes, if you keep going, you're going to eventually get to a purple or I'm sorry, to a blue color. Uh, the big problem that I found with that is you really have to go quite far to get that color to come out. Now, let's keep in mind here. Uh, the technical details behind what we're working with here. These these chemicals are actually called reagents, and that's short for reactive agent. And what you're looking for when you do these tests is you're looking for a chemical reaction, and that reaction comes in when the color changes. What you will see when you're doing these tests is as you drop, you add your drops in there, you're going to reach a point that that one drop or one or two drops is really going to create a drastic color change. It's that drastic color change is what you're looking for. It's that reaction. So now to some people, it's a bluish color. To some people, it's a pinkish color. Technically, you know, it's it, it's close. It, it could vary. But uh, again, with tests like this, what you're looking for is the reaction. And you're going to look for that drastic color change. So if you keep that in mind, you will find that uh, the test will give decent results for you. And you can confirm these doing other tests with other test kits, and you'll see that that's the reaction that you're really looking for. So I hope that helps everybody else. I know that was a quite an old question, but it's something I did want to bring up because uh, it's been asked a couple times. All right, well, that is, well, that's a good 25-minute show for you. I uh, hope we get a, got a lot of the good things, question, or good questions and answers for everybody. Uh, if you have questions, make sure you call them into the Skype line uh, at Talking Reef. Use the voicemail line at 586-486-3357. You can use the comment line on the Talking Reef website. Uh, and if you do use any of these methods, please make sure that at the end you include an email address uh, where I can get back to you at. Uh, that way I can follow up with you if I need to. Uh, obviously, all that information will be cut out before the show is before the question is played on the air. Uh, so that's going to wrap it up, and I will talk to you all next week. Hopefully, we'll be able to finish up some seahorse stuff for you and uh, get back on with that series. Thanks. I will talk to you all later.